Man, let's give it up for Christine. Good job, man. Those are, are a lot of words, you know, a lot of, a lot of names that we're just not, oh, hey, yeah, I was over at FIGRA. I don't even know if I said that right, but um, good morning. My name is Ricky, one of the pastors here, so good to be with you guys today. Um, you know, it was going to turn out great. I could see the whole thing in my mind. I could see how this was going to turn out. These colors are going to look amazing. They're going to go so well together. And if I just do this, then this is how this will look. And if I do this, this is how this is going to turn out. And, and so I'm concentrating, uh, look, being so intentional with how I'm drawing, with how I'm painting. And I'm just thinking, man, this is going to look so good. This is going to be kind of a masterpiece. And all of these people that are sitting near us and paint yourself silly will look over and be like, that's pretty good. And then my wife, Christy, will look over and be like, man, my husband is so artistic. Gosh, she'll be impressed. How are you doing? This will go great. And this was the future that I had. This was, this was my plan on how this was going to go. And then about 15 minutes later, I look at the, the mug that I had spent so much time and effort, concentration looking on. I have a smile on my face. And then I look over at Christie's, and I'm like, wait a minute, this doesn't look so good anymore. I, don't, I, I think I just got slapped in the face with, with reality. And the reality is, is I stink at art. Uh, and, and, and Christy's mug made my mug just kind of like wet its pants. And then I'm just like, wait a minute, this doesn't look at anything like, wait a minute, your, your mug looks great. And I'm talking to her like, oh, gosh, look, yours is incredible. Mine's terrible. And she's like, oh, no, it, it's okay. And then I'm like, and then I'm looking around at these other people. This is Valentine's Day. All these other people, I'm like, no, it's not. Look at everybody's. They're amazing. And then I see, I'm not kidding. I see about five people because you know, you're pretty close to each other. And they're looking at it. And I see about three of them just start laughing. They're like, they're like hey, what's going on? Yeah, that's, that is terrible. And, and it was so bad. It was just so obvious. And something actually really happened pretty similar in third grade when you, you do these like pinch pots. And I got actually awarded the, the creative, um, most creative award, which is kind of like, hey, if you're the team in Little League that loses every single game, you're getting the Spirit Award just because you keep showing up. It, it's like that. But then actually this, this mug when I make when I'm 26 year old, uh, years old is, is actually even worse than the one I made in third grade. And so it, since it's such a lost cause, I'm just like, I don't know. So I just end up just writing on there my a quote from one of my favorite movies is just, you know, well, if that guy over there is Seabass, just there we go. Let's just top off the creddiness of the mug. When we moved just a couple of years ago uh, from one house to another, my mug got thrown away over a VHS tape. <laughs> A VHS. I mean, it's like we don't even have a VHS player, but let's, let's keep that. Let's throw that. You know, hey, it's just a memory from our Valentine's Day of, of together as husband and wife. It's going in the trash. <laughs> Serves no purpose. Um, but the thing is, I had this plan. I had this picture. And I'm like, hey, if I just kind of keep doing this, this is how this will all turn out. I could see it now. But it just ended up not going that way. I mean, have you ever had that happen? Right? You have a plan. You have a picture of how something is going to go down, how your life is, how this relationship, whatever it is, and then you give it a little bit of time, and then you find out, hmm, it didn't really turn out the way that I thought it would. 
gosh, that's not how I pictured it in my mind. That wasn't the box that it kind of had. Maybe it's, maybe it's um, you know, just a vacation. Maybe it's a job or a promotion that you thought you would get. Maybe it's a, it's a project. Maybe it's just a conversation with somebody and you thought, man, if I just talk to him like this, it'll go great. And then you find out, hmm, not so much. Maybe it's a relationship. You know, we, we, we all have these, these plans, these pictures of, hey, this is how this is going to work. This is how the world works. And then it just doesn't end up going like that. And, and we, we do the same, not just with life, but we do the same with God. Right? We have our box and hey, God, this is how you work. This is, hey, the next year of my life, this next week, God, this is how we think that the, this should go, right? And if I do this, God, then you do that, God. And that's the parts that we play, and, and this is how this is all going to turn out. And God, your plans should probably just match my plans, shouldn't they? And then maybe it goes that way, maybe it doesn't. I was talking to a friend here at South Jeff, and he recently said this. He goes, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. And here's the, the tough thing, though, is we're not laughing, right? When our plans don't go our way, we're usually not laughing. And today in Acts 18, we're going to see, though, actually just how much better it is if, that we get to trade our plans for God's plans. That we get to trade how we think that we should, things should go, how, uh, how we think things should work, and how much actually better it is that God works His way rather than ours. And so if you've got a Bible, open up to Acts 18. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. If you've gone to Romans, you've gone a little too far. So chapter 18. Uh, while you're turning there, we, we went through uh, our series on Titus. After Easter, and we'll finish out Acts this summer. And so let me just kind of catch you up. You know, um, Jesus rose from the dead. He, he paid the price for sin. He rose from the dead. He is, uh, ascends, and he says, hey, disciples, apostles, wait here in Jerusalem. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And so they do that. Uh, they receive the Holy Spirit. They, they start preaching the word boldly. And God's, God starts just building his church. People are coming to Christ. They're hearing the gospel. Um, the, the apostles, different people are starting to have some persecution. And one of the guys that's really persecuting the church is this guy named Paul. And he is just out there throwing people in prison, everything. And then one day God just shows up. Jesus shows up and says, hey, Paul, Paul, why uh, are you persecuting me? And, and he ends up just trusting in Jesus. And then um, just kind of his whole life changes. He goes from persecuting the church to actually trying to help build the church, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so he's going around to these different places, preaching the word of God. And he's been making his way through, through Greece. And so he just left Athens. And now um, he is uh, coming to Corinth. Uh, and actually, there's two letters that we have from Paul uh, that are written to, to the Corinthians there. And you could tell just in these letters, like, man, this is a pretty goofy city. This is a pretty goofy church. Um, and so we'll pick it up here in verse, um, eight, verse 1. Um, after this, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And so Corinth is this major city. It's, um, it's a very big city. It's actually way bigger than Athens, one of the biggest cities in Greece. 
And um, it's kind of uh, a very big commercial city. And it's also this city of a lot of just immorality. Uh, that their, their main Greek god that they worshipped was the, the goddess of uh, Aphrodite. So it's the goddess of love. They have this big temple to the goddess of Aphrodite in their city. And so they would have these, these kind of slave priestesses go out into the city as prostitutes trying to get different people to come back to the temple for this kind of like twisted, uh, goofy worship. And so this is kind of a combination, Corinth is this combination of New York and Las Vegas. Lots of, lots of things going on, lots of commercial trade, but this is crazy city, um, and, and it's just a tough city to do ministry in. I don't know if any of us would be like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go to Corinth. Um, let's just go there. And, and, and so Paul comes in this city, and he's preaching the gospel, which is very contrary to the city. They live in a very pluralistic society. Which is saying, hey, you know what? There, there is nobody exactly knows the truth. There's lots of gods. Doesn't matter which god you worship. Just pick a god and worship that god. There's no one way to God. And Paul comes in there's like, actually, no, there isn't many gods. There's one God, and there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. And they're very this very like sexually immoral city. And he comes is like, hey, because of the resurrection of Jesus. We actually have new life in Christ to follow him. And, and you know, he, he's going to show us the way to truth. And so it's actually really very similar to our world today, right? We live in this kind of pluralistic society. Nobody has the truth. Um, hey, nobody can tell us what to do with, with our, you know, sexuality, what, what our bodies are or anything. And so he comes to Corinth. So verse 2, um, he goes to Corinth where he found a, a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them. And since they were of the same occupation, tent makers by trade, he stayed with them and worked. And so Aquila and Priscilla, they had lived in Rome. They had lived in Italy. And they basically, Claudius, the emperor, is just like, he issues this edict, hey, all Jews, out. Just get out of Rome. Get out of here. And we don't know exactly why, but it seems like the Jews were kind of um, having a lot of riots, a lot of disturbances. Maybe that was to do with the Christian faith, or maybe it's just because they're causing a lot of these disturbances. But either way, the, the emperor's just like, you get out of here. Um, they eventually kind of come back, and, and that's uh, actually part of the book of Romans. But, but Aquila and Priscilla, they're basically refugees, right? They've been kicked out of their home. They got to go. And so... Um, they're here in Corinth. They're doing uh, leather making and everything. Notice they open up their home to Paul. They're very hospitable. Um, and so they just open up their home. Uh, they eventually join Paul. Later on, they, have, they host a, a church at their home in Ephesus. Again, just continuing to open up their home, being hospitable. And, and one of the best places for reaching people, one of the best places really for, for having community is just building community in your own home around the dinner table. Um, and so there are these leather workers. Paul's doing that with them, these tent makers. And so Paul is this eight to five guy, right? That's what he's doing. He's just joining with them in their work. And then maybe at night or on the weekends, he's sharing Jesus with people. He's talking with people about Christ. And so even your vocation, even if it's totally full time and all that, it's a great opportunity for ministry. Verse five, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching um, the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. 
And so, um, and by the way, we're just going to kind of cruise through, through these verses, kind of give us a good understanding of it, and then we're going to look at two major themes that we see in the, in the passage. And so, uh, Silas and Timothy, they're these guys that are working with, with Paul, and so they arrive, Paul's doing this kind of, not, you know, doing the, the ministry on the side, working, doing the tent making, and so they arrive probably with a gift from the Philippians. The Philippians had given him a, a financial gift to give to Paul, and so now Paul switches to kind of this full-time preaching the word. Um, verse 6. When the, so he, he goes to the synagogue to, to preach that Jesus is the Messiah. When they resisted, talking about uh, mainly the Jews there in Corinth, they resisted and blasphemed, or when they resisted and blasphemed, Paul shook out his clothes and told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And so when he's shaking out the clothes from, from, or the dust from his clothes, he's like, hey, I, I, I gave you a great opportunity, and you guys are just rejecting it, so it's like, hey, I, I'm kind of out. I'm moving on, and, and I'm done with you. You know, you had your chance um, because they're just really rebuttaling him, and he's, when he says, hey, your blood's on your own heads, it's like, hey, you're responsible for your own response to the gospel, and, and, and this is a good reminder that it's not our job to make people believe in Christ. You know, Paul is an apostle. I mean, he wrote Bible. He, I mean, he's clearly sharing the gospel here. And yet they don't believe. And sometimes I think we can just put a lot of pressure on ourselves of, man, I got to make sure I share it right. And if I do this right, and if I do that right, then they'll come to Christ and they'll trust and believe in him. But here he's doing a great work, but it's like, hey, he still can't, he can't save people. And so the pressure is not on us. We got to just trust in God. And so here's kind of the thing. Paul says, hey, you guys, it's on you. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. I'm leaving the synagogue and I'm going to go just to the Gentiles. And so where does he go? He actually goes next door. Um, so he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper, worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard this, uh, when they heard, believed and were baptized. And so he goes, he leaves the synagogue where things are starting to kind of heat up. People are getting angry. And he just goes next door to this guy named Titius and stays at his house. And Titius is kind of sticking his neck out because they could get mad at him. Hey, you're welcoming Paul into this. Uh, Crispus, I mean, he, he's, he's the, the ruler of the synagogue. He is sticking his neck out for sure. I mean, if you're going to trust in Jesus, that doesn't really go great with being a Jewish ruler of that religion. Right? It's kind of like, well, this is your job's probably now over. Um, and so, can't really do that. And actually, Paul says that he ends up baptizing uh, this guy. And so, even that you see a ruler of the synagogue come to Christ, just shows us that anyone can come to Christ. Um, verse 9 says, The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid. Circle, underline, highlight that. Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking. And don't be silent, for I am with you. Circle, underline. And I'm, I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you, on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed there a year and a half, teaching the word of God among them. And so God comes to Paul, and he says, don't be afraid. Why does he say that? Because Paul was afraid. 
Paul, Paul's scared. I mean, in 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. The, the, the ministry here in, in Corinth is hard. It had been slow. He's, been, he's just been working, been, been just kind of grinding it out. The culture around him is crazy. And in, in previous places, Paul hadn't been there very long. You know, he, he comes in, he preaches the gospel, and then people start stirring things up. And then they, they come at him and they harm him. They throw him in prison. Maybe he's thinking, gosh, hey, this is about to happen here. But he's afraid. He's, he's struggling. And again, this is a, the Apostle Paul. And this has just shown us that, that in, the, in the Christian faith, there's no extraordinary people. There's, extra, there's an extraordinary God that does extraordinary things through ordinary people. Right? It's just, he's, just, he's just a guy. And actually, man, I, I, really, I actually really enjoy this, that Paul's afraid. Actually, this is a really big comfort to me. And actually, this is not the only time that God even comes to Paul. He comes to him later in Acts. He comes in 1 Timothy 4, he refers to, he says that God came to him when he was in Rome. And so God came to him multiple times to not be afraid because Paul was afraid multiple times. He still needed that encouragement. And, and, and I just love it that Paul's this like, man, yeah, I'm weak. I'm afraid. This is really hard. But the, the really awesome thing is this is, God doesn't come to Paul and say, hey, don't be, just don't do that. What's your problem? God comes to him in that weakness. God comes to him in his struggle. Hey, don't be afraid. And, and God says, don't be afraid because you just shouldn't be. He says, don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. That's why you shouldn't be afraid. It's not because you're just strong. It's not just because, hey, good Christians just don't be afraid. No, don't be afraid because I'm with you. I'm right here with you, Paul, in all of this. Because God's faithfulness is greater than our fears. Always God's faithfulness is greater than our fears. And so he's like saying, hey, I'm going to be with you. And he says, hey, keep speaking, keep preaching the gospel because I have many people in the city. Now, if I was Paul, I would be thinking, well, then where are they? And I think this is what, what God is saying. They're on the way. If you keep speaking, I have many people that I know that I'm drawing to myself to believe in Jesus. So keep speaking, keep going. There's going to be fruit in this. And so Paul keeps speaking and God says, hey, nobody, I'm not going to let anyone harm you not come to you. And so God is, is going to use Paul in this uh, amazing way, even though he's this fragile guy, just like he does today. Verse 11. Uh, yeah, so he stays there a year and a half. Uh, while Gallio was pro-council of the Kai, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribun tribunal. And so this is the first time that we know of for Paul or any other, uh, you know, apostles kind of before this, this big official uh, Roman governor. Uh, verse 13, this man, they say, is persuading people to worship God and in ways contrary to the law. As Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if this were a matter of wrongdoing or of a serious crime, it'd be reasonable for me to put up with you Jews. Obviously, he does not like them that much. But if uh, these questions are about words, names, and your own law which he's kind of implying it is. Hey, this isn't Roman stuff. This isn't really law. See it to yourselves. I refuse to be a judge on such things. 
So they drove, uh, he drove them from the tribunal, tribunal, and they seized Sosthenes, the leader of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. Uh, but none of these things mattered uh, to Gallio. And so, um, really, you know, the, the Roman governor here, he's just kind of like, I don't, I don't really care about this. This is really not this, this big of a deal. This is a dispute. I'm just not going to mix kind of the, these religious matters with Roman matters and all that stuff. So he just kind of like, whatever. And then this mob, they grab Sosthenes. And, and I don't know if they're just looking for somebody to beat up. Uh, you know, just like, well, we can't beat up Paul. Let's get this guy. And then they're just like looking at Galileo. <laughs> See that? Um, or maybe there's a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of ethnic tension. Or maybe Sosthenes, since he's the ruler of the synagogue, they're just angry at him. Hey, this should have ended up differently, and you didn't do your job. Um, or he could be the same Sosthenes that actually comes to know Jesus. Um, and so we see this later on, and, and actually a guy named Sosthenes helped write down uh, the letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians from Paul. And so, so they beat him up. Uh, verse 18, after some time, Paul said farewell to the brothers and sisters, sailed away to Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So those guys that he just met, um, they're coming with him. And he shaved his head at Centrea uh, because of a vow he had taken. When they reached Ephesus, he left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and debated with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a long time, he declined, but he said farewell and added, I'll come back to you if God wills. It's not about my will, my plan, but about what God's plan is. Then he set sail from Ephesus. And then, then he kind of goes back to Caesarea, goes back to Jerusalem, these different places, and then back up to Antioch, his sending church, to give them a report uh, there of what's going on. And so when he takes a vow... And, it's, you know, and shaves his head. This is maybe it could be a Nazarite vow, or it could just be this vow of thanksgiving uh, that he's given to God. And um, so then in verse uh, 24, now a, ma- a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who is competent in the use of scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. So, this, so Paul has left Ephesus. Now this guy comes to Ephesus. He'd been instructed in a way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he, o- he knew only John's baptism. That makes total sense. Um, he began to speak uh, boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla, Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. When, when, he, when he wanted to cross over to Achaia, uh, kind of back to Greece, back to Corinth, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those um, who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. And so when it says the baptism uh, that, that Apollos only knew of the baptism uh, of John, John's baptism was one of repentance. Hey, the Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. So you need to repent to prepare your heart uh, that you might be able to receive Jesus. And so turn away from your sin, turn to Jesus. And so it seems like Apollos, that's all he kind of knows. So he doesn't know about the giving of the Holy Spirit. Um, that, that seems to be what it's implying here. And, um, and that he's not completely informed in all of that. And so here's the cool thing about this is John or Apollos doesn't know everything. He, do, he doesn't. He, there's, there's some pretty big gaps in what he doesn't know, but God is still using him. And, I mean, even when it says that he's doing this in, and he's fervent in the spirit, that, that article there in the Greek is, is, is implying that it's actually he's fervent in the Holy Spirit. And there's a couple other places in the New Testament that it has the same thing. In both times, it refers to the Holy Spirit. And so here's kind of a cool thing. 
It seems that Apollos doesn't actually know about the giving of the Holy Spirit, but yet he's filled with and being used by the Holy Spirit. And so it's not always about how awesome you are, right? A lot of times we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, like, man, do I know enough? Am I doing all of these things? But Apollos, man, he, there's some big gaps in what he doesn't know. I mean, he doesn't know about the Holy Spirit, but yet God is using him in these incredible ways. And then notice how Aquila and Priscilla approach him. They don't shame him publicly. They just pull him aside. Hey, can we have a conversation with you? And, and, and they just say, hey, we'd like to instruct you more on what's going on here. And, and think about it if you're in Apollos' shoes. How would you respond to a couple of people that you don't really know that you just met trying to correct you in the way of the Lord? I mean, you're from Alexandria. This is kind of an intellectual center. You're a highly educated person. You, you, you know the scriptures, right? You came to Ephesus, and, and you're preaching accurately the things from, from the word of God. You just preached your guts out, and then these two people come in like, hey, can we have a chat with you? Hey, here's some, here's some things here. How would you respond to that? I mean, Apollo, so notice, he's humble. They correct him. And, and he goes with it. He listens to it and then pre- starts preaching more of really just the full part of Scripture that, yeah, there is a Holy Spirit. I mean, how do you respond to people trying to correct you in your life? Is there that sense of humility? Is, there, is your heart posture normally, man, I don't know everything. Does your social media posts demonstrate a humility that you don't know everything? Or is it like, I know what's up. Check out my awesome opinion. Pow. Right, but, th- but this is really the cool thing. I mean, so one, we need to be aware of our heart, po- heart posture is, hey, am I willing to receive instruction? Why? Because this is good. If somebody's helping me and this helps me grow, but then also this helps me be a bigger blessing to other people. If I'm, because if, if our heart posture is pride, that's going to destroy community. I mean, if Apollos was just like, who are you, Priscilla and Aquila? I don't want anything to do with you guys. That, that's going to destroy that relationship. And so humility helps us build, um, build this, and it's good for us so that we can grow. And then even notice, after he, he is humble in this, and, and Aquila and Priscilla, they also don't just shy away from it, right? They're actually being humble because Nebraska people love to avoid conflict, don't we? Oh, no, just let them do the thing. I'll go back to, you know, posting stuff, right? But, but they, they enter into it, and they say, hey, let, let's, let's maybe have that awkward conversation. Because we love you, because we care about you, we want to help you about that. And from all of that, um, he actually God does even greater ministry through him, and so um, so now we just kind of look through this. There's there's two themes that we just really want to hone in on, two ways of how God works. You know, because we could keep reading through Acts and it, and it can feel like, hey, it's just chapter after chapter. They feel kind of a little bit similar to the last one. And is there really anything different? We could just kind of start to glaze over it. But each chapter, God is reviewing Himself. And revealing what he's doing and revealing his plans in different ways. And there's these unique things in every chapter. And so we're going to look at that and two big, two big things of, of two truths and two um, things of just how God works. And so here's the first one. God works through ordinary people. 
God works through ordinary people. Notice throughout the chapter, God using people. This is not Paul just solo doing his thing. There's all these people in, in this. I mean, God, Paul is doing, um, you know, his, his tent making and all of that. And then Silas and Timothy show up. And so because of their arrival, they're encouraging Paul. And because they're bringing a gift from the Philippians, who we don't even actually see, you know, directly in the passage. But, but see, God is using Saul and Timothy to deliver good news, to deliver a gift. He's using, God is using the Philippians, people in a different place, all to help ministry flourish. God is using ordinary people to help make disciples. Crispus, again, we, we just only really hear about him uh, here and that Paul baptized him. God, God uses this guy to help his entire household believe. God's using him. God's using Titius to open up his home to have people there. God uses a scared Paul. God uses an uninformed Apollos. Just ordinary people. That's how God accomplishes his plans. When God is saying, hey, I want to move in this world, I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to do it through people. Not extraordinary people. Not people that are never afraid. Not that people that know everything. But just people. I'm going to move through my people. I mean, Paul... Or, or Paul um, moves in with uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And so he's staying with them. He's working with them. I'm sure that he's investing his life into them. Sharing with them about the word of God. Sharing with them about what God is doing with them. And he's building this friendship with them. I mean, it's, it's actually a pretty big friendship that he builds with them. Because then later on in the chapter when they go to Ephesus, they go with him. He mentions them three times in, in, in different letters. These are like some ministry partners with him that he's invested his life into. And then notice what Priscilla and Aquila do. Hey, Paul, Paul's invested into us. We see this brother here with um, Apollos, and we're going to invest in him. Now, was that one conversation that they pulled him aside? Maybe. Maybe it was months. I mean, I don't know if a conversation really quick is like, oh, hey, yeah, and the Holy Spirit came. Good? I'm sure it was more than that. And so they're having these conversations with Apollos. And then Apollos invests his life into other people. And so notice that. Paul's investing his life. They invest their lives. Apollos invests their lives. That's the plan. That's how God moves. Discipleship happens in relationships. Even Timothy, who's there, who comes and gives this gift to him. Timothy is a guy... That, that Paul invested in, and remember that Paul, later on, he writes this letter to Timothy. And Timothy gets this letter from, from Paul, and in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, this is what Paul says to Timothy. What you have learned from me, entrust into faithful men who will go on and teach it also. Hey, I've invested my life into you, Timothy. What I've done with you, go do that with someone else, who that will then will do it with someone else. If you want to talk about how do we have discipleship, how do we reach the nations, how do we reach this city, this neighborhood, your neighborhood, your workplace, it is going to be God working through us in relationships with other people, intentional relationships. Jesus, what was his strategy? Jesus, yeah, he preached, he healed people. But what, 
What was the majority of Jesus' public ministry three years spent doing, investing into 12 guys who would then build his church? That's what he's mainly doing. That's not flashy, right? I don't think that that's how we would typically do it. No, no, Jesus, what we need is we need lights and we need awesome things and we need amazing uh, marketing skills and this and promotional um, strategies and all of this. That's how you're really going to reach the most people, Jesus. And Jesus is like, this is how, I'm, this is how I work. I'm going to work through ordinary people that will invest their lives into other people who invest their lives into other people. That's how I'm going to do it. I just love what one commentary said. It said, it takes the whole body of Christ to get the gospel to the whole world. God works through people. Discipleship happens in relationships, not mainly through listening to podcasts, not mainly through even just Sunday morning listening to me. It happens in relationships. And so some quick applications for you with that of just God uses ordinary people Get in a city group. Yeah, get into community. If you're like, man, I've been here a while and this sounds old. Gosh, you guys say this all the time. Yes. Get in a city group. You have something to give. Even if you're thinking, but I don't really know a whole lot. You have something to offer. Even just with you being, being a presence with somebody. To equip others. Get in a huddle. A huddle is become a smaller group of people, maybe three to five same gender people sharpening each other, confessing sin. Hey, let's get in the word together. Let's be real. And let's just pursue Jesus together. Get in a huddle. You know, or we've been even encouraging you. Hey, who's just one person? Who's your one? Who's your one person that you're praying for, you're pursuing, and just getting to know in a real relationship and to share your life, to share your faith with them so that they might come to know Jesus. You know, maybe it's the people in your huddle. Maybe it's the person that's just your one person that you're, you're praying for and trying to reach. Just say, hey, you know what? You just want to get together and read the Bible for 30 days. Let's just do it for a month or 10 times. Let's just get together and read the Bible together. And I know for some of you, you're like, but wait a minute. I don't know all of what the Bible says. What is that going to look like? Apollos didn't know there's a Holy Spirit, <laughs> right? I think you'll be okay, Right? It's, it's okay. It's not based off of how awesome you are. You are ordinary. I'm ordinary. But we have an extraordinary God. An extraordinary Holy Spirit that does amazing things through ordinary people. That's his plan of what he's doing. In, in another application, invest in the next generation. You want to make disciples? High school kids, middle school kids, kid, just kids ministry. They're, they're, they're not just like less than us. They have the same Holy Spirit that we do. In, invest in, in them. Just, hey, if you're a parent, disciple your kids. You know, and, and, and I know if you're like, man, I don't know how to disciple my kids. Great. That's why we could be in community with one another and we could all figure it out together. We want to come alongside of you in that. And then, and then just kind of know this. It takes time. We live in a very microwave culture. I need something and I want it now, right? We're not, we're not good like we might cook with it good, but we don't live with Traeger mentality. You know, like a smoker. Oh, I'm going to do all this stuff and the smoker is going to take, you know, eight hours. I smoked this meat and look at it now. It's amazing, right? We, we're okay with that with pork, but when it comes to life, no, we don't got time for that. Microwave, pop, pop, pop. But here's the thing. With relationships, it takes time. I'm, it takes 
time to do this. Again, Jesus was with his disciples for three years. Paul invests into Priscilla and Aquila, and he doesn't see the fruit of that right away. But here's the thing. Every day, faithfulness, today's faithfulness leads to tomorrow's fruit. Your faithfulness today in your city group, in your huddle, in intentional relationships with others, your today, your today faithfulness with your friends, with your family, with your kids leads to tomorrow's fruit. Tomorrow's fruit is going to happen because why? God is using you now, today. And so God is going to use you guys. I mean, I would just say this. You get God's people filled with God's spirit around God's word, and you give it time, God works, right? That's not, that's not, it's not rocket science. It's just like, well, because God's moving. And so that's his plan, his picture, ordinary people. God uses ordinary, broken, don't know it all, messy people just leaning on him to do amazing things. And so that's the first thing we see in this chapter is just God uses ordinary people. Second thing is God works in his own ways. God works in his own ways. This chapter is filled with the providential hand of God just at work in the background, doing things not how like we would do them. And that's how God accomplishes his plans and purpose. You know, just, just, it just isn't how we would do them. It doesn't fit in our box. They're kind of like my, my mug at Paint Yourself Silly. I, I think it's going to look this way. I think it's going to look like that. And it just doesn't always look like that. But God works in his own ways. I mean, first, Aquila and Priscilla, they're refugees from Rome. I don't think their plan was for like, hey, they're just sitting around one Tuesday. Hey, what's, what's your vision, Aquila, for this next year? What are, you, what are you hoping for us? Well, you know, I've been thinking and praying about it. And actually, I really think it'd go great that if the emperor just decided to kick us out of our home. <laughs> you know, like that's not in his plan. That's not what's going on. But it's like, oh, that happens. But if that didn't happen, they never meet Paul. They never actually meet Apollos. And that's a lot of ministry that doesn't happen because of something that they didn't plan, probably didn't want to have happen. They didn't want to be kicked out of their home. But God had a different plan. Paul probably had the idea and the hope that when he goes to the synagogue to reach the Jews, because he loves the Jews. He wants to see them come to know Christ. He's probably thinking, gosh, this would be great. If they could just see the Messiah, they should know him. It's Jesus. But that's not what happens. They ridicule him. They want him out of there. And he's just like, okay, fine. I gave you your chance. No more. I'm just going to the Gentiles. That's my plan. I'm just going to go to the Gentiles. And then what happens two verses later? The ruler of the synagogue, a Jew who's overseeing all these other Jews, comes to know Jesus. I don't know if that was in Paul's plan. Right? But because actually he got rejected in one place, Jesus got accepted in another place. God works in his own ways. When, when, even when Paul leaves for Ephesus, if you go back to chapter 16 in the book of Acts, Paul's really wanting to go to Asia, which is where Ephesus is. He's like, man, this is where I want to go. This is where I want to go. And the Spirit says, uh-uh. And we don't even know what that looks like, but he's like, the Spirit prevented me from going and told me to go to, to Macedonia, to Greece. But now... Two chapters later, he's going to Ephesus, where originally it was in Paul's plan, but it wasn't in God's plan. But think about it. Now, because God worked in his own ways rather than in our ways, 
This amazing ministry has happened in Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth. He's met, now he has two people that are going to plant a church, have a house church. Now there's Apollos, and he's being discipled. All of these things are happening because God did it according to his way, the way that he wanted to do it. And then th- this, is, this is really this cool thing. In, in this chapter is, is that God, in, in, um, if you look at it here, in, um, uh, in verse 8, or no, sorry, verse 9, the Lord said uh, to Paul in, in a night vision, don't be afraid, keep on speaking, and don't be silent. Nobody's going to uh, you know, br- bring harm to you. What happens a couple chapter, or a couple verses later? You know, God says, hey, no one's going to attack you to harm you. Two verses later, the Jews make a united attack on Paul. If I'm Paul, I'm like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You, wait a minute. Didn't you just say, like, that's not going to happen? I don't. Hmm. That seems weird. And now Paul doesn't end up getting harmed. Instead, they beat that other guy. <laughs> right? You feel bad for that guy. <laughs> You're like, oh, man, innocent bystander. Um, but, but, but that doesn't happen. But here, because I'm sure that Paul's plan is no united attack against him. Right? I think that would be my plan. Hey, what do you want to happen today? Hmm. A bunch of people could come drag me out of here and make united attack on me or anything else. Right? That's Paul, Paul's thinking anything else. But here's what happens because God works in his own ways. Paul gets put up before Gallio who is this, this, this very high official. And even if you notice it um, later on in verse 14, all of these accusations are coming to Paul, and it says that Paul was about to open his mouth. Paul's like, hey, this is, this is, this is what I envision. I'm going to speak, and this thing's going to get better. But before he can even open his mouth, Gallio talks and says, this is fine. And he makes his ruling. And this is what ends up happening. Now, because of who Gallio is, that he's a proconsul, Christianity is allowed in the Roman Empire. Now, now, now it might not be seen as super legit, but it's, it's at least tolerated and allowed. All because God works in his own ways, not ours. And this just reminds me of Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Where, he said, where God says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are, my way, are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are, are higher than your thoughts. Right? We have our plans. We have our box. God, this is how you should work. This is what you should do. Do it like this, not like that. This is how it should go. And we many times think that our picture of things is better than God's. But if, but if things always went according to our plan, we'd miss out on a lot of God's best for us and God's best for this world. I remember back in 2020, we just, God leads and we launch as a church plant in March. And then two weeks later, COVID hits. And I, rem- I was, I'll admit, I was mad. I was like, this is the worst time ever. Man, I wish it was 9-11 again. Everybody's going back to church. Like, this was terrible. And, and late, later on in the month, we're, we're looking at finances, and it's like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. Are we going to, is this going to tank? And we're telling our staff, hey, I don't know. Well, I know we just hired you, but 
Hey, hope you don't like money. You know, and, and Alex is like, hey, we'll, we'll, ta- we'll, take, we'll be the first to take a pay cut for sure, but hey, pray. That is not the story that I was writing in my head in February or in January. My picture looked far different than lockdown. But the crazy thing is, you go to December because God's ways are not Ricky's ways. In December, God moves in an incredible way and we give $20,000 to a church plant in West Council Bluffs. God did that. And I would say this, if, if God did it my way, I would have been less thankful and I would have had a smaller picture of God if he did it my way than God's way. I have a bigger picture of God's faithfulness and just, just, just him moving. And I'm so much more grateful for that because God didn't do it my way. In, in, in the NIV, in, in verse 24, it says, Meanwhile, Hey, Paul's doing this, and he's leaving there, and then he says, Meanwhile, these people are in Ephesus. And I heard a friend say this years ago, he said, God is a God of the meanwhile. Man, life is not what I want. It's not turning out how I pictured it. Meanwhile, God is at work. Man, this relationship, it isn't happening. Meanwhile, God is at work. Man, this sickness or these finances, this person, that kid... Man, this is, this is not how I pictured it. This doesn't fit in my plans, in my box. Meanwhile, God is at work. Circumstances never surprise God. Trials, difficulties, struggles, weaknesses, they never catch God off guard. <coughs> Excuse me. The scriptures reveal to us that, that God knows you intimately. He even knows the, the number of hairs on your head. He's not surprised by, by any of that. And the same encouragement that that God gave Paul is the same one that he gives to us today. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Not because I'm going to make everything fit in your box. Not because I'm going to do everything the way that you want. Don't be afraid because I'm with you. Because my faithfulness is greater than all of this stuff. God works in, in not so much in our ways, but he works in his own ways. And this is amazing news because if you think of the most beautiful, amazing thing ever, that the, the, ever in the history of humanity, the most beautiful, amazing thing isn't how we would do it. The gospel doesn't fit in our neat box. Right, if I think about it, am, if, if I'm God, am I going to go to people that are, that are against me, that I know that, will con- that are unfaithful and that will continue to be unfaithful again and again and again and actually don't really want anything to do with me? No, I'm not doing that. We, we like to work with, hey God, if I do this, you do that. God, if I'm good, you reward me. Right? Because every time when things don't go like we want, we get mad at God first. And that just shows us that we think that God owes us something. God, I deserve this. We like tipping the scales. Hey, if I just do more good than bad, then, then I'm good with God. And, and, and God, if I don't do these really bad things, then let's do the good place thing. Let's go to heaven. That's, what, that's how this works, God. But God's like saying, no, that's not how it works. It can't work like that because you can't tip the scales in your favor. You, you, you can't do more good than bad on your own. Your heart is wicked and you are lost. But meanwhile, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. 
You are dead in your sin. But meanwhile, Jesus makes you alive in him. You can't earn it or deserve it. Meanwhile, Jesus saves you by his grace. You are guilty. Meanwhile, Jesus declares you not guilty by his blood. You can't be good enough. Meanwhile, Jesus credits you with his righteousness. You are separated from God. You are an orphan. But God in his amazing love says, hey, I'm going to come and I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm going to bring you to myself, not because you're good, not because you're lovely, not because you're amazing, but it's just because I love you with a bigger love than you could ever know. Meanwhile, God is at work. The gospel works so contrary to how we would do things because we like to earn things. We like to have things that we deserve, and God's like, you can't. It's only by my grace that you can be saved. It's only because of my amazing love do we have this relationship. It's not because you're good or you're lovely. It's because that's who I am to you. And if you don't know Christ, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your Savior, what if God's plan for you is that today you would be here listening to the gospel? What if God's plan for you today is to hear this and actually to come to know him? Maybe you're like, man, that wasn't in my plan. Hey, but God has a different plan. And so if you don't know Jesus, I just encourage you to trust in Christ today. You can know him. And again, it's not because of anything you've done. It's only because of the grace of Christ that he paid the price for your sin and he rose again that you can have this relationship with him. And if you do know Christ, I just encourage you to trust in him. Trust that, that God uses, trust that God could use you, ordinary person, today, tomorrow, this time on Wednesday to do amazing things. Trust that it's God working through you and trust that God's way, how he's working, even though if it's not like you pictured it, that it's God's way is better for you because remember, you know, he didn't save you the way that you would do it because you couldn't do it. He saved you the only way that could possibly happen, and that was him doing it through Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we, Lord, we thank you that you do use ordinary people, Lord, that it isn't about us being amazing. It isn't about us just um, having it all together, having all the right information, being so strong, Lord, but, but that you use ordinary, weak, broken, messy people. And so, Lord, I pray that even just as we think through this, Lord, that we would just continue and even more so invest our lives into other people. Lord, give us that strength. And Lord, I pray that, that yeah, maybe we're just really struggling with, with various things. And Lord, help us to just trust you, that your ways are better, even because they're not our ways, that your thoughts, even though they're not our thoughts, that's a good thing, Lord, because your thoughts are so much higher than our own. So Lord, help us to trust you in all these things, God. We ask this in your name. Amen.